And welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I am joined, as almost always, by my friend and colleague, Brian Fisher. Uh, friends, today, uh, you can probably tell if you are one of the handful of people that watch all these videos, but I am not in my basement office right now. Um, I am in a hotel room, and, and the Wi-Fi is not quite as strong as it is in, uh, in Chicago, so forgive me if this skips around here a little bit, but I'm, I'm checking in from the NASM conference in beautiful Atlanta. Um, well, you, you say beautiful, but I, I've looked at the weather reports, and I know it's uh, a little bit muggy for, for you, even though uh, coming from Chicago, you, you get some of those warm summers, but uh, good to see you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely nice that you're getting out and about, and a little bit a little bit different, though, just uh, just the background. I, I would have thought you would have packed up your flags. You could have put, put them behind you. you know, no, no big deal, right? <laughs> I thought, I, listen, I thought about it, right? I You know, to, to, to get the setup to look a little bit more like home. Um, I want I want to I want to tell you a little bit about what this event is because I think I'm the only reporter here, which is not <laughs> no surprise I, there, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you never know. Reporters go to NACTA. Reporters go to I mean, there, there were some reporters at the at the sports law symposium like a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta. Well, you, so, you, give it, you give it about 24 hours. Everybody will be coming through the Atlanta airport at least, come on their way back from Destin because that's yeah, where all the other reporters so are right now. That's a good point. That's where everybody else is in the college football beat. So. For friends who are, are are not aware, which I'm guessing would be almost everybody here that doesn't have a, a .edu in, in your email address, NASM stands for the North American Society for Sports Management. If you are a professor that is teaching or, or doing research in any of the related disciplines to sport management, uh, you are probably a, a part of this organization. And once a year, they have a big to-do where they all gather together and share a bunch of research projects with each other and, and give some professional development. It's a chance for, for people who haven't seen each other in a while to, to talk, to collaborate on research projects, to complain about their deans, because that's what everybody does when it's a higher education conference. And, and I gotta tell you guys, for me, this has been a tremendously interesting and, and valuable experience because um, I am a gigantic dork and the whole and, and I'm not really used to people like being really excited to talk to me as a reporter. Generally, the, there's the administrators kind of tolerate me. Like no one's like, oh shit, yeah, Matt Brown's on the phone here. I'm so excited. Like not that they, they dislike me, but that's that's not part of their gig. But when you're in these kind of settings, there generally are not a lot of reporters running around, uh, going up to these academics saying, I hope you have the hot gossip here on on uh, on, on ticketing. Or about about what you know how the historic uh, financial vehicles that ACC teams used to build their stadiums in the post World War II era. I am that dude. So the way that this thing is set up is beyond a, a couple of, of uh, you know conferences for or, or you know speeches for, for across everybody. They have a bunch of these different uh, conference rooms throughout the hotel, and it's they, they generally will have. Professors come in in like 20 minute increments to present papers to other academics and, and, and showcase what they've been writing about and answer questions and then people will, will kind of hang out in the lobby to talk there. So this is cool for me because I can just kind of wander in from room to room to room and um, chances are somebody is digging into some weird extra points adjacent rabbit hole and I can just say like, hey, can you tell me more about this? And they're excited to do it, which is... Um, I'm not saying that everybody needs to throw me a parade when I call them on the phone or anything, but it is kind of nice every once in a while to show up there and people are like, oh, I would love to talk to a reporter. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I, well, not, not 
particularly <laughs> given that I, I'm probably not talking with as many professors as you are, but, uh, you know, it is, it is funny because, uh, like there, there's the other half of the world, right. That uh, is, is not invested in, in college athletics that has some of these normal type of conferences. And, and obviously there's, there's the sport aspect of, of this one that uh, you're at, but like, uh, you know, going to a conference and, and just chatting up people and, and seeing people. I mean, like that in particular, the, uh, given the last couple of years, really the last uh, 18 months, everybody is so excited to get to a lot of these conferences. I, I'm definitely seeing it as we, you know, kind of do some discussions around NACTA where we'll have a presence there in Las Vegas at the end yep. of June. So uh, I, I can totally understand people being excited to talk and, and talk in person, especially about some of the unique and interesting topics that uh, they are presenting at this conference, because uh, some of the papers a little bit over my head on, on, on some aspects, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, once you kind of get them to walk you through some of those papers, I, I bet they'll make sense to uh, not just Matt Brown and company, but uh, everybody else as well. That's the big hope. And, and one of the things that has become really apparent to me since I launched Extra Points and kind of immersed myself in this beat is that outside of a couple of, of universities, and it's not always the ones you would expect, the academic side and like the central administration side of a university and the athletic department generally don't do a great job of talking to each other. And that's not, I, I say that not to blame the athletic department or say like the, all the blame lies on one side. I, I think particularly for smaller schools, there is an enormous trust gap um, between fa typical faculty and what an athletic department actually does, where they see them as a threat rather than something where you can collaborate. And I think, broadly speaking, ADs and coaches and other staffers don't think to tap into the expertise of the gigantic concentration of human knowledge they have locally before they reach out to other third-party consultants. Um, I think that was a, we saw this a lot with NIL when uh, more and more schools a year later started to realize, oh, you know who actually knows more about brand building than this consultancy that started up six months ago? This guy that you know has been published for 18 years in our MBA program on brand building. Maybe we should ask him. And they're like, well, finally, someone freaking talks to me. So it, it's funny because you know some of the things that we're talking about here are, are literally germane to what the, the athletic side is talking about right now. Some of this is esoteric nerdery that's great for me and great for the handful of people I know that an extra points that are really into that, but some of this is, is actually quite contemporary. And uh, I know that ADs are super busy right now and they're not just picking up a copy of like the CSRI journal just to kind of plumb through it for kicks and giggles. That's my job. Uh, and hopefully help translate what's happening in academia to maybe the rest of the world and, and translate that in a way that is a little bit more accessible. That's that's the hope of what we're trying to do here. Well, that's exactly why you need to sign up at extrapointsmb.com for a subscription so that you can get those those uh, lovely insights distilled into a, a very readable newsletter format. But, uh, you know, it is interesting. You, know, you mentioned that... Di di you know divide on campus but that that is something very real anybody who has ever worked on campus will will like raise their hands they're just nodding along as we're, we're saying this uh during yeah. this segment because uh, it, it is very real and you're you're right i think nil has marked a little bit of a, a turning point for that where it's the business school it is you know marketers you know at, at the comm school or something like that um you know lawyers even you know on campus are, are looking over nil deals so uh, it, it is a bit changing just in this one aspect, and uh, hopefully it can lead to some, some more open doors. I know at some schools, it, I, I think there has been a, an increase in terms of uh, you know combining that campus insight. Others, it's, it's, it's still very silent. And let's face yeah. it, this, these, these are massive, you know, multi-billion dollar enterprises. So you can understand there's, there might be a little siloing off, but uh, it is a big help for certain athletic departments, especially the smaller ones that can lean on some of those peers on the academic side. It, it's funny because I don't... Don't always uh, you you might assume 
that it's the behemoths that that struggle to talk just because it's a large bureaucracy and whether that's a state government or IBM or the University of North Carolina, you would think that that would be harder. And the smaller schools where there might be more interpersonal capital, you would think that that's better. In my experience, that's not so much the case. And it, it really it really is person by, by, by person. I, I would actually point to UNC as an example of a school that has a really great college sports research department and also one that talks to Bubba Cunningham and, and talks to people on the athletic side there uh, as well. Um, I thought I could, I could tell you a little bit about some of the actual papers that I've seen so far and I know that are going to be discussed in the future because I, I, I you know, we haven't had a chance to get through everything. Um, some of the things that I had a chance to hear on Thursday, I, I wrote about this a little bit in today's Extra Points. There was, I thought, a pretty insightful uh, history paper from some professors at UNC and UVA about the history of scholarship limits, um, not just for football, which I, I think I think many of our listeners know the high level story of, of what that looked like with you know with football teams in the Paleolithic era signing up rosters of 200 people just so their conference rivals wouldn't have those guys and then just running them off, um, but also what that looked like for women's sports uh, as that came into being in the in the early 1970s. They, um, the, 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 the professors were looking through NCAA historical documents, right, through NCAA manuals and through minutes from those meetings to, to kind of mine what the rationale was, which is important as the Transformation Committee and as administrators now consider potentially blowing that model up completely. Um, I was a little bit surprised that the lead researcher at UNC who I talked to about this paper told me that she actually didn't think it would be a good idea to get rid of scholarship limits entirely for women's sports. Um, she expressed a lot of concern about, hey, the, you know, we're going to see some SEC softball teams do what Nebraska did in 1960 and just stockpile talent, which might not be good for an emerging sport. And it's a lot easier to run off athletes now in the transfer portal world than maybe it might have been uh, back in the 50s or 60s or 70s. I don't have a great answer for that, but I, 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 I do have some of that, some of that kind of distilled uh, in, in the newsletter, that context it was new to me. I didn't. I didn't really know what that looked like in the '60s or '70s, or why it was set up the way that it was. Well, I mean, there's always a finite number of roster spots. I think it is important to keep yeah. in mind that for all the transformation talk, as much as scholarship changes might be made, especially with the equivalency sports, where you're going from like 11.9 and 13.7 and all these weird decimal type of places to of, of full scholarships, like uh, you're you're still limited in terms of that overall size of the roster, and and you're also limited in terms of you know what sport and how many people are going to be on the field. Like that's just um, you know just kind of the, the general way of things are, are going to go, and so. Uh, as much as there are those fears of kind of stockpiling talent like there, there used to be, uh, you know, you're right. It, it is just a different ecosystem nowadays. People can transfer freely. That That is obviously a big thing. And I think for the most part, it's it really can help the athletes, you know, tremendously, especially if you're coming from a disadvantaged background uh, to where you would struggle to pay for school otherwise. Um, and, and you're playing softball and you go from having, you know, barely you know being able to afford books and whatnot. That's that's what we talk about when, when there's yeah. real struggles at the end. NCAA level. It's not necessarily the football players who are on the full ride. They're getting the training table. They're getting the books paid for. They've got housing. If you're talking with some of the baseball players, softball players, they're basically walk-ons. You know, they, they might That's get real. some some money here or there, and to help those those athletes out, um, you know, now you're talking about really 
helping change fortunes and uh, change fortunes a lot broader than the 85 uh, members of those football teams. And so I, I think there are a lot of positives to this. You're right. There are definitely concerns about, you know, talent accumulation, but uh, that that's going to be the, the fact of the matter is uh, you, you're going to run into that no matter what, uh, whether it's 13, you're limited to 13 uh, scholarships or you can go up to you know, kind of the, the full cap there. And I, I don't think that that necessarily is a competitive balance thing. I think it's more of a money thing for, for a lot of these departments because they know if you're in the Mac, you might not be able to offer the, the full full ride for everybody uh, on, on a baseball scholarship or a softball scholarship. Yeah. Oh, listen, there's no might about it. There's no way in hell that they're going to be able to offer that for everybody. And in fact, that is why some of the Mac schools have baseball teams. That, that That's by design, knowing that they can attract some tuition-paying tuition paying instit- uh, players. You're also absolutely right that even if we take that concern at face value, that this might have a negative impact on parity. And I know parity doesn't exist in college football. I'm not going to lie to you guys and say I know exactly what parity looks like for softball or volleyball. But if that leads to... Um, increased athlete academic outcomes or their ability to build generational wealth. I don't really care if the SEC establishes an ironclad grip on some of these sports. I, I don't know this 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 part. You know, part of this process is for me to learn a little bit more about how all, all this all fits together. There were a lot of research papers presented, as you might expect, about esports. Um, one of the things that that's unique about this this world that, that's growing very quickly, of course, is that it's not always set up under the athletic department. Um, there are, are reasons for that, for both for Title IX and equity concerns, because maybe nobody in the athletic department knows anything about esports. Um, whether the the university's goals for that program align with with the rest of the athletic department, but that's also generally who knows the most about competitive events um, and recruiting and, 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 you know, just from a, a nuts and bolts perspective. So there were a lot of papers that talked about, well, how do these programs actually get started and how do they navigate university bureaucracies? Uh, I saw one that, that, that broke down, um, the relationship between, uh, collegiate esports programs and, uh, sponsorship deals from energy drink companies and whether esports athletes knew what was in energy drinks and, <laughs> and, and, and what, what, what that, you know, consuming those had on their performance. Like I mean, sure. I don't I don't know anything about esports, but I, I think everybody here knows I'm, I'm a I'm a, a pretty regular Mountain Dew Rise consumer. Now you, they should sponsor this podcast. You know, it was it was interesting digging into that. There were I, I, I went to multiple presentations about um, uh, Gen Z entering the workforce, um, at, at both within the college world and also the professional sports world, and what. Um, their employers need to do to keep them engaged, and what are things that this cohort and various surveys says are important to them besides money? Right. This is this is one of the things that I think gets lost from some of these kind of presentations. If you want to keep people engaged and retained, you do need to pay them. There is no le- level of like uh, social actual actualization or you know like finding meaning in work and everything that replaces money. You do have you, and and this is an issue within college sports, uh, particularly, and and I think the junior level roles in the pro sports, most of them pay like crap, and the 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 hours are, are terrible. But this idea of you know the, the this generation's view about uh, technology and about taking ownership of particular roles at work and and this kind of higher level, you know how you fit into to to the, the organizational mission, it's different from us as as older millennials according to and you know gave gave a couple you know bits of advice on how to actually retain those which i think um is also interesting also have you ever heard of the term food swamp before i i can't say that i have uh, maybe maybe in the back of my recess of my minds it, it, it has been 
uh, uttered and, and uh, I, I've heard it, but uh, I, I I don't recall it. And, and maybe that's just because we're, we're taping late at night here. To, uh, to, uh, <laughs> right. And I've not had those energy drinks that they were talking about uh, yet. Well, we, you might have purchased them in a food swamp. Have, have, you, have you heard of the term food desert? Yes, that I have. So I, I, I knew what that was, too. This is something that comes up a lot in you know, local reporting here in Chicago because access to grocery stores are not, you know, equitably distributed throughout all of Chicago. I hadn't heard of the term food swamp, which, uh, you know, according to some of the researchers that I was talking to would be the way of describing a zip code or an area that is, has lots of food options, but they're all crap. Like if, if it's a place where you just have like a high geographic density of Culver's and not <laughs> of like a place that sells vegetables, uh, or just bodega after bodega after bodega, then um, it, it, in some ways that's just worse than a food swamp. And, and there were a couple of, of uh, entities that like did case studies on um, major U.S. cities and like geo, you know, uh, geo-referenced obesity and different health outcomes, not just juxtaposed against uh, you know access to playgrounds or public gyms, but also food deserts and food swamps. And I, I, did I remember this because I thought the term food swamp was kind of goofy? Yes. But also, this is something that would also be applicable to universities and to people living off campus and depending on how those, those places are zoned. Because I don't know about you, I have been to some small college towns. I'm thinking of particular my time in Greenville, North Carolina, that I would consider a food swamp, <laughs> which, which may be an issue for people that are starting their careers or are living off campus or maybe relative to, to some larger places that I've been to. Well, this, this is definitely something that I think a lot of people more on the university side have, have started to consider uh, probably the last decade or so, just in terms of those food options for people, especially, you know, eating healthy. I think that's just the generation of, of college students that are coming through, you know, your campus are want those options. You know, that, that is a way you can stand out. And uh, I, I mean, I, I recall, you know, back in my days, uh, you know, just the the, the darth of, of good food options, uh, you know, in and around campus. And, you know, you'd, you'd see athletes around there, you know, like because uh, they're, they're the training table was only open at certain times and so you couldn't get a, a decent meal so you're ended up eating junk i know it was a source of frustration amongst uh, some coaches and some uh, training strengths uh, you know staff members and, and i'm sure that yeah. was replicated across the country you know just in terms of you're not having a whole lot of great options maybe you were saying all right let's outsource you know our, our four or five dining options on campus to xyz fast food restaurants and and while that might be great in terms of uh, them them racking up revenue in terms of percentage of sales it doesn't provide a whole lot of great options options for a, a college uh, cohort that uh, does need those healthy options to, to, to grow and uh, kind of reach their full potential. And frankly, now, now, now that is changing, you know, I, I think there is much more of an emphasis on, on providing a, a lot of diverse food options. And, and that's healthy. That's helpful for uh, a regular college student, much less to the, uh, you know, the, the, the students that live off campus and do have to go get a meal occasionally and, and are not able to get their, their, you know, protein smoothie shake that uh, some uh, nutritionist ha- has whipped up for them after a workout. That, that's that's exactly right. Like, and this is the thing, right? Once you kind of dig into something just a little bit at the surface level, even, you know, I, I think that particular paper was centered around New York City, which, of course, invented college sports, particularly college football. But you might not you might not think when you're talking about the Bronx and think college athletics. But these principles are uh, you, you, you can you can overlay them to the, the litany of other campuses and, and local situations here that we have. I'm, I'm, I'm digging into some more st- uh, papers tomorrow. I know that my audience, I think, is going to be interested in one uh, that did some economical research on uh, on conference realignment at, at lower levels. I, uh, one thing I've learned since starting Extra Points is always blog the realignment thing. Um, and I'll, I'll be sharing some more of that uh, later in the week. Um, 
I, I did want to quickly talk about something before we kind of dig into the rest of this that is a little bit easier to understand than comparable research methods uh, or, or some of the larger you know, PowerPoints that, that I, I've been exposed to here um, that, and, and terrified me of, of you know, that I was hoping that nobody would see my transcript or you know, be aware that I wasn't an academic or anything. Uh, one thing that's much easier to understand is our friends at Homefield Apparel are producing some extremely comfortable, unique, interesting collegiate apparel. Uh, that you can grab right now. Uh, friends, they're about to drop a new collection for the Arizona Wildcats. And uh, I haven't bought anything at Homefield here in a minute. I was kind of trying to hope to save it up for the end of the season because there's going to be a couple gigantic brands. I think I'm going to buy some Arizona stuff. Taylor, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. It's for work. I'm probably going to buy some Arizona stuff. I, I completely agree. I think they're, they're I, I, gotta, I mean, even just the, the recent Arkansas stuff. I mean, I feel like uh, there's a whole reason Sam Pittman uh, got a, a contract extension was was because our Arkansas fans flocked to the site and were able to uh, to generate some of those licensing dollars because some of the, the recent stuff is, is great. And you're right. Arizona, I mean, you talk about not only the the opportunity to to have an I, iconic university, some of the, the great cactus logos that you can incorporate uh, like Arizona. If you go back through through the time, you know, go back to Desert Storm and all or Desert uh, whatever it was, there's swarm, yeah, swarm, swarm. Excuse me. Uh, you know, they, they there <laughs> was, some, was something else. There is definitely same same time period, just uh, yeah. much much different uh, on on uh, on on when you're watching. But like yeah, uh, that, so many great <laughs> logos. That's not from on that home field. You can't that buy is definitely not on home field. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so many great uh, great logos from that area and uh, era of of uh, Arizona. And uh, I think for for a lot of uh, non non UA alums and, and non UA fans, I think they will even find something that uh, you even even yourself can uh, uh, definitely jump on board uh, I, I'm, I'm I got my, my South Carolina shirt on so I'm, I'm, I'm I guess I'm repping the SEC but uh, hopefully we'll uh, get some Arizona gear in uh, for, for the next couple podcasts yeah and listen if you're not an Arizona fan in fact if you hate the University of Arizona uh, good news they have a bunch of really great Arizona State stuff there too um, I, I, I uh, be, beyond the the, the, the the script Devils hoodie and and the weird like Technicolor Viking T-shirt that they had from 1972. There is, of course, the I think the the vaguely Cuphead inspired "Give 'Em Hell, Sparky" with an angry cartoon devil in the middle. Everybody needs that on their torso. This is the rare time I'm not wearing anything home for them. We're actually wearing a NASA shirt right now that they gave me because I helped <laughs> uh, I helped I helped moderate a. Um, uh, a panel discussion and by that I just used my radio voice to like read everyone's name and like point it on people to ask insightful questions and so they gave me this um, but if you want a bunch of other great shirts or pants or hoodies or tank tops or any other clothing adjacent things that they sell at this website you can go to homefieldapparel.com and you should use promo code extra points to save 15% and also uh, uh, convince Homefield to continue to give us money and, and help support the, the this podcast you can also reach out to me at matt at extrapointsmb.com if you would like me to put you in touch with the good folks at Homefield if you want your stuff to be sold in a future big new Saturday uh, like several other mid-major brands and conferences ha- have done. And uh, finally, if you are a brand that is looking to get in front of college athletics decision makers, diehard fans, academics, just people with really you know, lots of disposable income and great taste. Uh, you're in luck because we have open advertising slots here on Going for Two and on Extra Points for June and July. Hit me up at sales at extrapointsmb.com. 
Oh, Brian, I, I know it's running a little bit late here, and I've been running around uh, hotel conference rooms and have not really been online a ton over the last 36 hours, which is a blessing. Have I missed anything really big or important? I, I don't feel like you really have. I mean, maybe, you know, the SEC just continuing the debate over eight or nine games. I feel like that is that has gotten uh, definitely three days worth of content. Uh, yeah, we've done two. We've done two podcasts about that. Now I'm bored of that story. Like, I, uh, I am make up too, your mind. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess you could say Greg Sankey, uh, you know, kind of reigniting the, the playoff debate. I know Mark Keenum, the Mississippi State president, who's uh, the chair of the board of managers, also spoke on that uh, to SI's Ross Dellinger. So it's like yeah. the, the playoff discussion has, has spun up again, as you kind of expected at the end of, of SEC meetings but you know let's face it there there is no playoff uh, come 2024 and so it's like there's there's a, a blank slate in terms of the postseason and it is going to be interesting i think in, in in a lot of people's minds to just kind of see the jockeying now that is going to go on obviously you had the alliance and you kind of had them kind of put up the, the the brick wall for playoff expansion but now it now the leverage does really kind of shift back to the the, the power five and uh, you know particularly the big 10 and the sec obviously but uh, i think the, there is some concern especially from a revenue uh, sharing standpoint in terms of you know is, is this an opportunity for the power five to kind of take more of the, those payouts uh you know to uh you know distribute less because right now they are distributing uh money all the way down to the fcs level so it's like uh you know maybe this is an opportunity to kind of revisit some of those things and uh keep keep a little bit more of those payouts to themselves i know that is a, a big concern for some we'll see but uh, I think for the next uh, probably six to 12 months, you're, you're going to continue to hear this drumbeat. And uh, probably before we eventually get the actual proposal and everything uh, signed on the dotted line by uh, probably probably by next summer. I can't wait. I, I, I definitely I definitely can't wait for this particular storyline to be resolved. Um, it's, it, it's interesting, though, but uh, like uh, so we talk about college football playoff, but I also had an interesting discussion with uh, the, the WAC commissioner, Brian Thornton, and, and, and uh, talking with him about uh, his proposal for to change college basketball scheduling. Uh, you can watch on, on Collegiate Sports Connect, but um, you know uh, some people might have seen the uh, CBS Sports uh, article that uh, Matt, our, our buddy Matt Norlander, also wrote about this subject. But uh, I wanted to kind of dive into him uh, a little bit with uh, like where, where the genesis of this idea was, and, and it sounds pretty pretty cool. I, I think if you're a college basketball fan, to where basically you kind of take two weeks out of, of uh, February there, mid February, and uh, you kind of do an old bracket busters. And, and uh, I kept thinking, you know, kept asking a, a few of the the folks involved, like, can can we move this to college baseball you know can we move this to volleyball can we move this to kind of other sports in the ncaa realm and and i would i you know they they said absolutely and uh i kind of I think it, w- it would be pretty cool in, in football as well kinda well it would it, football seems like the gigantic layup because nobody involved likes the fact that there are games scheduled through the literal heat death of the universe like when entropy has reached its final conclusion through the second law of thermodynamics and it becomes impossible for anybody to do any cellular work i've been hanging out with professors all day um then boston college will play northwestern right like like nobody cares about that (laughs) and and the administrators when i've talked to them said like we don't really want to do it either we also have twitter accounts but we recognize, and we, we read these things, right? But we also recognize that if we don't, there won't be any games, and then you're going to yell at us again. I understand that's a bigger logistical lift. But if we've managed to figure this out for basketball, and potentially in a, in a, on a larger scale, and I, I think that actually dovetails to, you know, what we're talking about with the RPI a couple of days ago, with 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 many coaches for softball and volleyball in particular complaining about their inability to get good games. Um, Maybe this kind of in-season flexibility is a, a, an antidote to that. I, I mean, I, I definitely credit the folks at the WAC for thinking outside of the box. That's pretty clever. 
And and I, I think a lot of conferences are on board with the basketball version. Uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, especially making it a, a part of women's basketball, you know, pretty quickly as well. I think they're, they're obviously aiming for 2023 and you can find more details on, on Collegiate Sports Connect to uh, actually see the interview and, and kind of find more about the concept. But, you know, in terms of football, I, I think it would be really interesting, too, if you were like to say, let's just take our one one knock, one non-conference game for next year. Right. Like uh, take away you can take away all the logistical issues that way. But like, let's let's just totally make it matchup based. Um, and, and maybe there's an algorithm almost like the NFL. Right. Uh, the last place team in, in this division is going to play, uh, sure. you know, this, you know, like it just makes a lot more sense, especially when you're considering you're, you're not you're not scheduling 30 years in advance or anything like that. So, um, you know, it, it will be an interesting to kind of track this concept. I think there's some momentum behind it. I think everybody's rightfully kind of focused on, on what division one looks like right now and, and, you know, kind of issues surrounding that. But uh, I think this is something that uh, does have some momentum. And I, I know the WAC is obviously on board, but I think another, a number of other mid majors are going to sign up for this. And this is going to end up happening. The big West uh, recently concluded their uh, conference meetings and they kind of said, Hey, we're, we're all on board. We're going to hold back um, these two weeks from four month conference schedules in, in 2023 and beyond. And I, I think this, this is going to be very interesting. And, and I think the unique thing is the TV partners are all on board. They, they want better matchups too. And uh, as much as we, we talk about, um, you know, the fan experience, I, I think TV is going to be a big driver in terms of being on board with this, getting others involved. And uh, I could even see, although it's not really involving, you know, the big East or the big 10 or, or any kind of the power six leagues, I, I, it, it could make sense for them to get involved in this as well. I, I mean, think about some of the matchups that you can create for television. Um, you know, not, not just a uh, kind of Gonzaga versus Houston or, or some of these intriguing games that uh, you, you could ultimately have, uh, at the mid-major level, but like if you're matching a, a Maryland team on the bubble with uh, a Texas A&M team on the bubble and, and you know, like th that could be a real decider come come March Madness. So I think it's a, a concept to uh, definitely be watching and uh, you can watch the full interview on, on Collegiate Sports Connect, of course. I uh, I mean, that's a little bit about what the Gavit games are. That's a little bit about what some of the, the, the conference challenges are. I mean, it's they're, they're kind of programmed ahead of the season, but not six years in advance to try and match relatively similar brands if we did that scheduled it in December instead of July or you know August or whenever it is that those games are announced I certainly wouldn't complain um well, I mean, I, I know yeah. I asked a couple of college basketball coaches that I, I know just like, you know, what do you guys think about this? And they're like, you know, it, it's they, they understand where, where it's coming from, because like, especially in the in this era of, of one time transfers, like you really even if you agree to a game with uh, with a school, you don't know how good they're going to be. They, they could lose. You could sign the contract and they could lose four guys to the portal and they end up going from, you know, a, a decent RPI boost to to an awful one and uh, one that where if you lose it, you know, you're 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 dropping in, in a quad four loss like and, and that just tanks your entire tournament experience like there's obviously concerns about yeah it offers you the opportunity to kind of win and, and get into the tournament but it, it could also knock you out of it and i think there's there's obviously those kind of coaching for your own lives uh, type of type of philosophy going towards some of these bigger games but uh, you know at the end of the day i, I think it's uh, something that we'll, we'll end up happening in, in practice and it's going to be fascinating to see if other sports can copy it because you're right that that rpi discussion that was going on surrounding college baseball I, I think this this could be a huge benefit to that, you know, and, and especially if you kind of consider some of the geographic, uh, you know, uh, teams that could end up playing, uh, you know, closer together uh, in, in baseball. And you have that one weekend series uh, against a similarly uh, thing, uh, RPI uh, based, uh, you know, squad. I, I think it could make a lot of sense in, in a lot of other sports as well. It, it, man, I mean, for baseball, if nothing else, 
if there was just an agreement among the four conferences that are like north of Louisville. Say like, all right, listen, we don't want to have what happened with Iowa and Rutgers this year. We don't want to yeah. have that happen again. So we're going to just move some, some space around to play Rutgers UConn or Iowa UConn or Iowa Xavier or whoever's good or whatever the best Mac team is or something to, to try to boost people a little bit. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not a math guy, but it, it does seem like these are not impossible to uh, to handle uh, questions. There was one other news story I just wanted to very quickly talk to you here before we sign off because this is like the one thing that I kind of saw on the internet before uh, we, we got on the phone. Um, the head coach of my alma mater, the Ohio State University, Ryan Day, uh, was speaking to a collection of Columbus uh, you know, businessmen. I, I saw this with the, from Cleveland.com and a couple other places. And uh, if I'm understanding the story correctly, uh, Ryan Day, you know, said to the, the group, like, hey, listen, we've crunched the numbers. We've reached out to people. We figured out about how much money it's going to take to keep this football team together lest they go hit the portal and, and, and grab collective money elsewhere. And that number is $13 million. And uh, I saw this, and um, I don't want to say that I think – I definitely don't think Ryan Day made that up. Like, I, 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 I don't – I. I'm sure that he and Gene Smith, they said they talked to a bunch of players' families to try to figure out what's out there. I absolutely agree and believe that the Ohio State football staff and Ohio State's senior athletic department staff made a good faith effort to try to get this information. I also think that just surface level, gut check, $13 million doesn't sound crazy for, 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 for keeping a roster. Billy Napier at Florida, I believe, on his speaking circuit has said it's going to cost $20 million. And I, I, I think I, I want to say I've, I've heard this from a, at least one other SEC coach in, in the you know, north of the $16 million range. So, like, 13, you know, maybe that's not crazy. But I, I, know, I know I'm beating a dead horse, and maybe I'm just a weirdo curmudgeon. I don't really feel like we should feel super comfortable, even if that number passes the gut check or the vibes test. I don't know how accurate that is because I don't know how accurate the numbers that people were giving to Ryan Day about what's actually out there, right? Like, you and I, we have 247 accounts. Like, we, we, we have Reddit accounts, or at least I have a Reddit account. I don't know if you do. Um, we read a lot of these rumors, but I don't know to what extent the agents and parents and other people that are talking to these coaches, I don't know how full of shit any of them are. It could be 13 million. It could be 6 million. It could be, I don't, I, I, I don't know. It, am, I, am I off base for, for expressing puzzlement here? Oh, well, I mean, Nick Saban came out and said uh, Alabama made $3 million last year. So, like, and, and you can only expect the market as it kind of has gotten these cash injections from collectives and whatnot to only increase. But I, I think 13 to 20-ish million dollars sounds about right. I mean, look, you know, this isn't, we're not talking about the NFL teams with $200 million uh, salary cap. You know, this is, um, you know, a decent, pretty, pretty good chunk of the, the college administrative uh, inter enterprise, uh, if, you know, that we're, we're going after here. And um, when you're talking about doing social media posts for, you know, tens and thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands in, in some, some cases, like, you know, you can kind of understand that, uh, that they would be um, some big brand builders that, uh, you know, marketers want to get involved with. But obviously we know there's kind of the, the uh, underhanded, uh, under the table uh, payments that are going above board now, and uh, I, I can totally see thirteen million dollars being being quite reasonable. I think it's very interesting that not just Ryan Day, but uh, we, as we've seen, uh, Nick Saban, uh, obviously others have kind of come out and basically negotiating through the through the media and through these booster clubs with their, um, you know, yeah, kind of put it out there and be like, hey guys, we're a little bit behind uh, it, based it, on what we're doing on the recruiting trail. It sounds like he's trying to set up a capital campaign. 
like it, which, which which is a very different kind of conversation to have in the media. L- let me just quickly say this on on, on what you, uh, vis-a-vis Ohio State football and, and big brands, guys. I have an open doors account. I have an account on just about all of the major NIL exchanges. I have uh, like Dwan, like uh, multiple Ohio State offensive linemen have like agreed in principle to do deals with extra points. I don't know if we're going to be able to find the time to, to to bring them on. Hopefully, we can have some folks here on this podcast. I know what they're charging. They're not making a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars from from these exchanges, right? They are the the going rate for an Ohio State football player on Open Doors or some of these exchanges is like four hundred bucks. And that's for starters. That's for four-star people. Um, I know a couple of these guys have agents that are working with Buffalo Wild Wings, these big brands. But but like let let let's let me shoot that notion in, in, you know down right now. There's nothing to indicate based on the market-driven NIL world that I don't anybody other than, than like C.J. Stroud is making or would be able to command anywhere close to any of this. Right, thirteen million divided by eighty-five is like around one hundred seventy-five thousand. I, I saw uh, Doug at Cleveland.com, who I think is one of the, the brighter, uh, more engaging people on Ohio State's beat, said it's probably not one hundred seventy-five an athlete so much as like five hundred thousand for like the twenty-six dudes that are super important versus other people that that are are, are going to be near the bottom or or you know more more market driven and. That you know that 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 passes the sniff test. I I don't want to say that this is that this is wrong. I I think it just it comes down to it's so hard to get really reliable information about what's happening through the collective world because a lot of that's getting leaked to message boards where people are just making stuff up all of the time. And I know that because I admit to reading a lot of those because you have to call on those rumors because one out of every twenty out of them is real. Um, and especially like on the realignment front, because you never know who's actually a regent for somebody at Murray State, and maybe like their name is Fart Doctor Twelve on the CSN boards, whatever. You have to check, and so sometimes they're right, but a lot of it is complete baloney. And some of the attorneys that are putting stuff out there are not sharing the the, the full data. So I look at this like I, we we can't just take this at face value, but it's also really the only data that we have. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe that doesn't matter. I don't know. I think that the obscurity in data is, is definitely led to a, a lot of uh, things being thrown out there. And look, uh, I think it, it's going to be interesting, too, because we, we see a lot of the, the the graphics, you know, coming out of these programs about, oh, produce this this number of NFL draft picks. Pretty soon that's going to be, hey, we had, th- you know, $7.5 million in NIL deals last year. Like, uh, I think schools are going to be a, become a little bit more transparent because it, it's in their interest uh, in terms of the recruiting. Uh, and I know some coaches kind of want to keep it a little bit closer to the vest so some kids don't get uh, jealous of, of some of the deals. But uh, uh, there, there's going to be a few that are going to put out the, those overall numbers like uh, Ryan Day just did. And uh, that that's going to be when the eyebrow raising kind of continues to uh, to get a little higher because, um, you know, I, I think it's completely under understandable that uh, kids nowadays, whether you're uh, a five-star quarterback recruit uh, or, or an offensive tackle or somebody like that, uh, you, you're saying, look, I heard so-and-so got this. And, and that's just kind of how the market uh, kind of artificially inflates itself. And um, I'm sure there's a whole lot of coaches like Ryan Day and a whole lot of coaches like Nick Saban that are like, hey, if, if this is the game now, this is what we're having to do to compete. Then I got to go out there and, and, and raise that money. And I, I think that's what, what a lot of them are kind of end up doing right now. And in this time period where they're already meeting with the Rotary Clubs and going on their alumni tours and uh, speaking to a lot of donors at, at this point in the calendar. This is the rubber chicken circuit of, yeah. of, of the, 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 the coaching world. Um, there, there, really, there, is something, there is something to that. 
and I just forgot what I was going to say. I was thinking about it. It already made my um, my 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 head melt. I don't. Yo 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 no yo no say. I uh, I I um. I, this is clearly something that that will will uh, you know that I'll, I'll continue to follow. It, 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 oh, now, now I remember. It, it really it, it reminds me of what the workplace is like almost anywhere. You know, most of the times management doesn't want people to talk about what they're actually making because they don't want jealousy on the, in the office. Even though of course that happens, people find out what they're making, and it's also a mechanism to keep wages down because then people don't have the information they need to properly negotiate. One of the things that's kind of confusing about this marketplace right now is I, I don't know if it's clear if this instability is, is helping people command more money or if they don't know their true their true worth or, or what they could potentially get of an asking for way less money. It's why you know efficient markets or labor markets tend to have more information. Even if I don't know exactly what my coworker is making, in most other industries I can I can get a pretty good estimate of what somebody with you know at a sort of specific job title or skills in a certain market might be able to command. We don't have that at all right now. This is the, and, you know, this is why unions push for this kind of information to be made public too. And you know, in my opinion, in your workplace, it might be it might be beneficial to actually talk about what you're making. Uh, we don't really have that right now in in college sports. Well, I mean, there there are thousands of economists right now that are studying you know the, the labor market. There are thousands of professors that that are making it their their life's work to yeah. kind of I'll, dive into I'll, some of the research about I'll this. Ta- I'll talk to some of them tomorrow, I'm sure. I- exactly, and, and like you know, and and the thing about college sports is like you you add this this labor market that that is growing and expanding and and changing, and add the layer of of um, basically not having any transparency at all in some of these deals. And, and and then you add irrational boosters to the mix like it is combustible like i i, I can totally understand the a lot of the frustrations that that are out there but this this is just the way uh things are i mean i think this is why you know greg Sankey, uh, you know to his credit you know they said we're, we're talking with lawyers we're, we're, we're trying to get a handle on this maybe there's something the conference office can do in the sec to kind of get a grips on on this uh, i know that's something a lot of the 80s have been pushing for We'll ultimately see if that, bec- you know, anything becomes of that. But I know there's been uh, additional talk, you know, kind of around the NCA about uh, maybe, hey, let's let's kind of re-explore that third party administrator to where these deals have to kind of go through a clearinghouse. So we at least know what they are. And there is some transparency on that that uh, that front. It would certainly help in terms of uh, NCA enforcement. But, um, you know, it, it's just uh, it's just a difficult environment right now. And everybody's kind of either getting in gray hairs or, or pulling them out and uh, trying trying to just navigate life right now. I know it's it's a lot. Of, it's difficult for a lot of these coaches. But, hey, there's a reason why we know they're getting paid 13 or, or 14 million dollars a year or something that, like that. That's what the money's for. Friends, I'll tell you what, if I hear any good ideas from anybody at NASA over the next 36 hours about how to fix any of this, I promise I will let you know. And you'll be able to find out all about it at Extra Points, which is a pretty good newsletter covering business and policy and education off the field stories across all of college athletics with the Power Five way down to the NAIA. Uh, you can find that, of course, at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, Brian already so aptly uh, plugged Collegiate Sports Connect, which is free. I've heard a lot of positive things about that from the folks I've been talking to here at this conference, whether you are a, are a .edu or not. This is a resource which I think you will benefit from, just like you will from subscribing for free to D1 Ticker, which not only helps pay Brian and I, but uh, will keep you up to date on literally everything that has happened over the last 12 hours. Uh, in, in the college sports universe. My, my other last plea for everybody is that you enjoy this podcast to please not only leave a positive review on the podcast delivery service of your choice, but uh, share with your friends. Tweet about it. 
mention it on, on College Football Reddit or your message board of choice, your online college fan community. So I know there's like a gajillion college sports podcasts out there. We're a little bit different. And uh, maybe you and your buddies might enjoy listening to this one uh, as part of your rotation. Uh, friends, thanks for spending some time here with us. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm excited to get back to you. We have some fun guests lined up here in the near future on this show. Uh, I'm excited to get back to you again here from beautiful Chicago. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all on the internet later on.